Hello everyone, I'm Aaron Pollock. Welcome to the first episode of Cold Wave Soundcheck. Our goal for this show is to bring you weekly episodes introducing you to some of the performers at Cold Wave's Four. Most music festivals have a diverse set of performing artists, and it's a shame when a band you knew nothing about steals the show with an amazing set that you would have enjoyed more with some background history. This week we're going to talk to Tristan Schoen from Author and Punisher and listen to a couple of tracks from his most recent albums. But first, let's do a quick review of what Cold Waves is and what is going down that weekend. Born in 2012, Cold Waves began as a memorial concert for fallen Chicago musician and sound man Jamie Duffy. The original event was a 14-band affair over a single night and served as a springboard to what is now a two-day showcase at Metro. Cold Waves' goal is to showcase Chicago's relationship with industrial music featuring rare and classic forebearers along with innovative newcomers. The event has now grown into a fundraiser for Hope for the Day, a local suicide prevention charity using music and the arts to reach those in need. Thursday night, September 24th at Double Door is the official kickoff show featuring the late Jamie Duffy's band Acumen Nation celebrating the 20th anniversary of their debut album Transmissions from Evil. Opening the show are Rabbit Junk and Die Sector. Tickets are available now from DoubleDoor.com and are only $10. Then Friday, September 25th at Metro, the performers will be Godflesh, Lustmord, Let Into Gold, Author and Punisher, Prurient, Lab Report, and Two from the Eye. Then Saturday the 26th, back at Metro are Frontline Assembly, Pop Will Eat Itself, Severed Heads, Cockshore, High Functioning Flesh, Rorschach Test, and Human Traffic. Two-day discount passes have sold out, but single-day passes are still available, although, like last year, these shows will sell out. So purchase your tickets in advance at MetroChicago.com. Now let's talk to Tristan Schoen and listen to some author and Punisher songs.
I started off, uh, I guess, you know, engineering school out of high school, always playing in metal bands. Um, you know, they're good bands, but they weren't particularly uh, ambitious in terms of touring or, or in terms of like what it takes to do that. So I studied uh, mechanical engineering uh, at RPI, which is like a upstate New York kind of industrial town engineering school, and had some bands there. And uh, then I went to art school after working in industry for a couple of years, kind of dissatisfied with the work. Went back to engineering school. So that's kind of the, the beginnings. So what kind of music were you into? I was very much into... I hadn't really gotten into much electronic stuff at that point. I was mostly listening to, like, you know, the Neurosis, His Hero's Gone, uh, Melvin's, some death metal, Cannibal Corpse, and Obituary, stuff like that. So you started off on, like, the, the rock and the metal side? Yeah, not so much the rock stuff. I would say, like... Definitely more in the metal, death metal world, yeah. And then kind of getting in more late college, doing uh, some of the more of the rave scene, drum and bass, dub, dubstep, that stuff. Yeah. So when you started off Author and Punisher, was that, did you start off with all the, all the equipment that you used? Did that come later? The machines kind of came uh, later once I had already spent about a year in grad school for my art uh, masters. And... Basically, this, this first album of Author and Punisher called The Painted Army, which was basically like a few songs from a previous band that I had written. Uh, the band just never went anywhere uh, in Boston right before I came to San Diego for art school. And so I kind of, right when I got to school, recorded that album, No Machines. And then I did another album with No Machines that I haven't actually released yet. I did it as just a CDR. And then that next album was essentially my MFA thesis, which was Drone Machines, which was like building these very heavy controllers for sound. So tell me about when you come up with an idea for your equipment. Is it, do you see it visually? Do you hear a sound and you think of what goes with that? Because there's a lot of really unique things on stage with you. They're, they're basically attempt to uh, embody the sound that I want to hear. You know, just a physical apparatus. I would say there is some fetishistic, like industrial, not industrial music, but industrial, like kind of uh, industry, automation, mechanical engineering, visual components that I like. But for the most part, I design these around actually uh, functional, you know, using weight and inertia and the feel in my hand to, to, for sound. It really has nothing to do with, um, uh, I, I don't make steampunk, and I'm really anti-steampunk, and that whole world of, uh, and I have no problem saying that, of basically making your laptop look like it's brass or some shit like that. I mean, my laptop's plastic, and I'm happy it's that way. It's fine. <laughs> plastic is good for some things, but steel has weight. For me, making a knob that's plastic is too easy to turn. You might, it needs to have a little bit of weight, so. Right. Yep. But then uh, loading and unloading the gear, I'm sure that's Sucks. more of a short. But it's not any worse than than a bunch of SVTs and Ampeg cabinets. You know, those suck. And I've been getting better at actually making sure that they have uh, wheels and things like that. And I bring people with me now. So maybe in 10 years, I won't have to carry my gear. So watching your watching your set live, you, you have the one arm on the one, you know, piston-type machine. You have the gigantic metal dial in the middle. Yep. You know... Are you able to use all that to recreate live what's on the album? Yeah, more or less. But, you know, there's there's a certain... There's some songs on my albums that are a little bit more sequenced. And I, I do play those live sometimes. I have in the past. But for right now, I'm kind of like... 
I'm really focusing on just playing the songs that are meant to be played live. And if, maybe if there's a sequence here or there, I really try to recreate it. But, you know, there's there's an element of improvisation that's caught in the studio, just like any jazz musician, that I, I will try to just get back into that zone live, but it's not the same thing. Right. The vocals tend are a little cleaner on the album. I probably scream a little bit more live than sing. The new album that I'm putting out has a lot of harmonies and clean vocals that... Um, you know, I use my voice and my throat and these masks a lot live that ruin my voice throughout the set. So sometimes that doesn't happen.
was a it was an industrial festival that was much larger. I have to say most of the industrial festivals I do are I don't want to shit on any, on any of these festivals because they're great, but they're, it's a pretty small scene, you know. And I would say Coldplay is probably the biggest one in the country, and it's cool because there's a lot of kind of brings everybody together, and you realize that it's not just a bunch of overweight middle-aged people wearing leather. Right. Yeah. There's uh, there are other people that listen to industrial. Of course, they're mostly in the IT world, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're uh, you're one of the few bands that are, that'll make a back-to-back appearance. I think maybe yeah. only four or five other bands. Tell me, you know, what that what that meant to you and and how that came across that you were able to come Just, back again. It's awesome. I mean, it, it's great because I already kind of know the drill. I know those guys. There's no, you know, we can roll in there and and. Uh, just shake hands and you know you're going to be taken care of and also just because it's Godflesh I mean they're legendary they're, they're a huge influence on me I'm sure I've ripped them off a bunch without even realizing it I'm sure a lot of it yeah and I'm proud of that I have no I ripped Neurosis off without knowing it uh, Scott Kelly probably mostly and uh, and Justin Broderick and that's you know so that that for me just, just makes it and you know, I think we're going to stay for all three days, and I, hopefully my wife will come out with me and we and make it, you know, a social thing in addition to just a band performance. Are there uh, are there any other bands playing besides Godflesh that you're looking forward to seeing? Oh, well, I, obviously Prurium, because they've toured with Godflesh, and I'm really curious to see what that's like live. Um, uh, God, t- oh, uh, Two from the Eye, which is Sanford, new band. He played in Corrections House, so I'm kind of interested to see what that's all about. And I don't know that they've really played much in the U.S., so I'm curious about that. Yeah, it seems like they were able to get a lot of bands that maybe don't show up in the U.S. a lot. Yeah. I'm not really into, like, a lot of the kind of, like, more standard industrial bands, so I won't... I, I, they're very interesting to watch. It's just, it's totally, like, a scene that I was never in. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's that's where the people mentioned that band from, yeah. you know? Yeah, it yeah. seemed, you know, even though the show is called Cold Waves, it seemed like it really... It really hits the full spectrum of, you know, the guitar-heavy side stuff to the pure electronic stuff. You right. Know, it's not. It's not this little subgenre. It's all over the place. And if it were if it were a festival that you liked every band of, then it would be probably too uh, too narrow of a range of bands. You know, I would say I probably like a quarter of the bands, but I'm curious about the other bands, and I'll listen to them. They're different. Doesn't mean it's bad.
so you said you have a new album coming up yep do you have a release date on that June 30th and that's uh, on House Core Records um, produced by myself and Phil Anselmo and which is a which I am very proud of this album yeah it's coming out on uh, some double gatefold thick colored special artwork I collaborated with an artist in Scotland from this band Black Sun uh, Russell McEwen to do the artwork for it so I think like I don't can't think of anything that we kind of like slouched on you know we did everything we could to make this what it was you know it seemed like for a while musically you couldn't really do much outside of you know offer you know some downloadable tracks on Bandcamp or whatever but now it seems like people are really into vinyl again so tell me about how you know the the visual artwork comes back into play yeah you know and I think it's been a learning process for me I think initially I, I really like the idea of I like simplicity in, in albums and in, in covers, and I don't. I think I didn't. Some of my albums were just pictures, you know, live pictures. I kind of liked how Fugazi used to do it, or the old Miles Davis shots where he'd have the trumpet. It's just his that Billy Joel on the cover, you know. But now I, I think people expect a little bit more, you know. It is a, a rebirth. People want to see liner notes and, and they want to feel the paper. And, and uh, I think initially my idea for this album was to, to not do that. And Phil kind of pushed me, including a lot of my other friends, to just you know go for it with it. So we backed off and really focused on the on the art. I mean, if you have colored vinyl, the shit just sells right away. You know, people want. I don't know. It's a fashion thing now. I don't know. Maybe it's trendy, but I guess it works out for the artist. <laughs> so if anyone wants to check out more of your stuff, uh, where where should they go? Well, we got some videos coming up. Uh, so, you know, you'll, I have a channel on YouTube. It's just Author and Punisher. And look there. Or you can also, <clears throat> on the House Corps uh, and the Author and Punisher Bandcamp, some cover songs on, like, a Godflesh cover, Body Dome Light that's on SoundCloud. Everything pretty much finds its way on SoundCloud for free listening. So, right. yeah. And we're going to do a... I did a Boiler Room uh, live session in Berlin this year with... And that, that's a full set of 45 minutes straight. And so you should check that out, too. I know for sure September, October, a full U.S. tour based around Cold Waves. Void Star is another festival that's in uh, Boston. Uh, with uh, It's at the 25th anniversary um, festival at the Brighton Music Hall. And that's, like, on October 2nd. Um, so that's another one uh, that's right after Cold Waves. And so there'll probably be a tour. And then Housecore Festival down in Austin after that. So it was a big, it was a string, another tour, full U.S. tour coming up. From Author and Punisher, you heard Women and Children, Terror Bird, and Callus and Hoof. Callus and Hoof can be found on the new album Melk and Honing, which came out earlier this week. For more information, head over to tristanshone.com. Our opening music is Monster Zero by Acumen Nation. Subscribe to the show through iTunes or your favorite podcast app with the links found in our show notes. Join us next week as we talk to Matt Schultz from Lab Report. Our closing segment each week remembers the man who was the inspiration for the Cold Waves Festival and who would love these shows more than anyone else in attendance. Sound engineer, Acumen Nation guitarist, and one half of the DJ AccuCrack duo, Jamie Duffy. Here's Jamie's mom, Pat Duffy, a.k.a. Mama Kid, remembering the history of Jamie's iconic footwear. Jamie's obsession with certain types of shoes started early on, and it was... I think I have to say it was the Aliens influence with the Reeboks. And he had to have the Aliens Reeboks. And 
Mom wasn't spending that kind of money for a pair of shoes, for a pair of sneakers. So he had to go out and work in the cornfields at the age of 12. That was Jamie's thing is every year because he wanted to have really kick-ass shoes when he went to school. I don't know what it was. But he worked, he always worked in the, you know, as soon as you could get a work permit in Indiana, you know, you're out there working, kid. You want fancy stuff, you're going to have, I'll pay this much, but anything else, you're going to have to buy that on your own. So that was the easiest way to do it. So he would do, he would detassel corn and, you know, work and derogue, go out in the fields and he'd be out there, you know, early in the morning. And it was nasty work, you know, sweaty and hot. And, you'd, you know, he'd have, my mom would always, you know, pack him his, you know, sandwiches and lemonade and make sure he, you know, because she was always up at the crack. Of, she was up before dawn. She'd always make sure he'd get there. So he'd save his money so he could have, and you know, the cool shoes. And then it was the Air Jordans, you know, the Nikes. He took pictures of all of them. He'd save them all for a long time. So then it was, you know, once he got into the industrial scene, you know, everybody was wearing the Doc Martens. So he had the knee-length the knee length Doc Martens, and he had different ones. And I don't know how he came across the new rocks, but I remember him talking about those. I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, I was like, those can't be comfortable. And they weigh a ton. And you got a bad back. And you know that's not good for you, but he still insisted on wearing them, you know. And, um, yeah, he just loved his new rocks. And then I think he liked the fact that, you know, when at the House of Blues, when people didn't know who he was, he was the guy with the boots. The sound guy, the sound guy with the boots. 